This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to do verse 1 through 4. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he, may, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you so much. The title of this message is Engaged in Warfare. Engaged in Warfare. We've talked about time and again the great temptation to kind of settle down and settle for a settled for Christian life. In other words, to be a believer on parade. To be a believer dressed in all the pomp and circumstance of um, a, a uniform with all the medals and all the brass shining on parade before the world, but not really engaged in warfare. But the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, who was engaged in warfare, and the Apostle Paul was engaged in warfare. And I hope I'm speaking to a church who's engaged in it as well. And he's given him instruction to encourage him, and he's saying, Timothy, it doesn't say to him that things are going to get easy. As a matter of fact, he ensures to him that they're going to be hard. He wants him to have proper expectations. He doesn't want to set him up for a fall by setting him up, setting him up saying, Timothy, everything's just going to turn out great if you'll follow Jesus. Doesn't Jesus do the same thing? Didn't he say, if you're going to follow me, you have to sit down and count the cost? Didn't he say, if you, have to, if you love your life, you're going to lose it? But if you hate your life in this world, you'll find it? Doesn't the Scripture say that the Christian life is a difficult life to live? Doesn't it say, Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will what? Hate you. So he doesn't set us up for a fall. He doesn't, he doesn't raise expectations and say that everything is just going to be easy and you're going to just float to heaven on a bed of ease, ease, comfort, and pleasure. He tells us the truth and says it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to empower you. And when he says, you therefore, look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you therefore, and then he repeats it again in verse 3. He says, you therefore. That could really be translated this way. But you, Timothy, but you are to be different. He's calling him to resist the current flow. He's saying this. He's saying, listen, the status quo is going this way. Everybody around you, those in Asia have left. They've fled. They've counted the cost, deemed it not to be worth it, and they have cut bait. They have cut and loose, and they're gone. But you're to be different. Not you, Timothy, but you, Timothy. This is what's going to be true of you, son. You're going to be different. You're not going to go with the tide. You're not going to have a crowd mentality. And then he says, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We've talked about that when we first started looking at the narrative. And we said that the reason he was encouraging him to be strong in grace is because God's going to often deal with him in a way that doesn't look gracious. He said, you better dig deep from the grace well because often when you look around in the landscape, you're going to go, this is grace? But friends, the same grace that is needed for salvation is the same grace that's needed for service. The same grace that's needed for salvation is the same grace that's needed for service. Because remember, much is at stake. The Apostle Paul has vested his life and put his life on the line for the gospel. He's about to depart and go to heaven. He's going to be fine. 
He's going to be martyred. His head is going to be cut off according to tradition in Rome. And he knew that was about to happen. And look what he says in verse 2. You take these things you've heard from me among many witnesses and you commit these to faithful men who will in turn teach others. Why was that so needed? The reason that was so needed is because everybody in Asia is gone. I got you left, Timothy. It's just you now. They've all abandoned. They've all said, no, the cost is too high. This is where we get off. It stops here. But not you, buddy. It's going to be different for you. And you're to take what I have taught you publicly, and I want you to be able to teach others so they can pass down the faith that was once delivered to the apostles. This is apostolic secession. This is saying, you know what? For the teaching of the church, it's got to move on, and it's going to be moved on through you and faithful men who are going to come behind you. And then look what he says in verse 3. He said, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. We talked about this before. This is expected. Loyalty to the gospel ensures it. Hardship is accompanied by faithfulness to the gospel. Especially in the day in which we live. What did he tell him? He said, Timothy, there's going to come a day when men won't endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it anymore. And they'll raise up for themselves teachers who will tickle them ears, their ears and tell them what they want to hear. Endure hardship, buddy. It's coming. Let me ask you a question. Nathaniel, it, Joe's uh, nephew, is in Afghanistan. He's on the front line. He's in harm's way. The front line of a war that's been going on. I think it's the longest war we've fought so far. And now here we are in the middle of a battle in Afghanistan. Do you think when Nathaniel went over there he had any kind of conception to think it was going to be easy? Do you think they set him up and trained him that when Nathaniel and him, you get over here, we've got a Hilton Hotel for you to check into and there's a pool behind it. And you might, not, you might not like the Afghan cooking, but here's what to expect there. But yet we'll take care of you and all that. No. They put him out in the woods and threw him into... Uh, difficult circumstances, situations, trained him physically and trained him to be able to recognize the enemy, to use his weapon because he was going to be entering into warfare. If we're a, a believer that's engaged, difficulty is to be expected. And then he says this, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now we talked about that at length last week. It means focus. It means determination because that is necessary for survival. See, the world will choke out the Word. How do you defeat the enemy? You tear down their lines of communication. If we're not communicating with our Lord, and we're so entangled and our hearts are so crowded, when the Word drops in, if it doesn't take root, we are fodder for the enemy. We are fodder for the enemy. He'll take us out. Do you remember we talked about before? My grandfather had this habit. You got your Bible with you? Hold it up. Will you? Hold it up. He used to say, listen, everybody got their Bible with you? Hold it up. Shake it at the devil. This is how you defeat the devils with the Word of God. That's the truth. That's absolutely true. And listen, you know what? We've got to be informed. The Word has to have a place to drop down. We can't be entangled with civilian affairs. It doesn't mean that we don't act in civilly responsibly ways. It doesn't mean that we don't go out and make a living. But it does mean that our perspective about our living takes a turn. It takes a change. Then Ken realizes things like what you just said this morning, which is a perfect example of it. That your arm is not about your arm. God loves you and He loves your arm. He's concerned about the pain you have and we're praying about it. We hope He removes it. But if He can use it as a catalyst or a springboard for the gospel and where you work because you are there for the gospel. 
You are there to be light in a dark place. You've been commissioned by God to work at Whitaker Oil to be light in a dark place. And for you to become President of the United States means you'd have to step down. That's true of all of us. Wherever we are. Whether you run a painting contract business or you have a pest control business or whether you're an engineer or whatever, we're there for the gospel. If we're engaged. Now, what does engagement mean? It says, all right, no one, no one who's engaged in warfare entangles with himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The expectations are hardship. What's true of a soldier engaged in warfare? Let's look at just some practical examples. John can get it and give us many because he served faithfully in Vietnam and we thank God for his service. He and I were talking about it a little bit and I'm going to mention that a little bit later. What's true of a soldier on the field? You know what's true? This is liberating. It's true of this. Provision is taken care of by the sovereign. When you're engaged in warfare, rather than GI standing for government issued, it GI stands for God issued. He's responsible for feeding me. He's responsible for taking care of me. He's responsible for clothing me. He's responsible for arming me. He's responsible for the planning. He's responsible for the engagement. He's responsible for the power to get it done. He's responsible for the call. He's responsible for the, dire the direction. I just show up for duty. Hallelujah. Amen. God issued. The clothes, the provision, and the equipment are taken care of. We don't send soldiers out in the field and have them go shop in Cabal for uniforms. They go over there with uniforms. And we spend millions of dollars studying how the what's the best type of fabric? What's the best type of armor? How can we make it more efficient? How can we make it more comfortable but yet serviceable? How can we protect him better? What can we do? We'll spare no expense, nor should we. To put a young man on the front lines representing the country, the sovereign United States of America, dare us, forbid us to ever put him on the front lines without having the very best of the very best of the very best. And I just knocked down everything. Hallelujah. We're going to need some new microphones. We would not dare do that. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about God's army? What do you think about the armor that the Lord slaps on you in the morning? Do you still get up before you let your feet touch the ground and put on that armor? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. It's the best that there is. It's the best that there is. It was purchased at Calvary for you and I. And He dresses us up with the very best there is to come against the enemy. Look at 2 Corinthians. Now you have to really hang on to your Bible because we're going to take a massive trip through the Bible this morning. Take it 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. G.I. God issue. Boy, I hope those microphones work. GI, government issued, government issued means in the kingdom, God issued. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what? Mighty. In God. They are mighty in God for fully pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. It means that thoughts that harm me, thoughts that will harm my walk, thoughts that, that will mislead me, I need to take to the cross. What's the greatest manifestation of the obedience of Jesus Christ? Surely it's the cross. Surely it's the cross. Where else in his journey did he say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did he say that when he went into Capernaum? Did he say that when he cast out a demon? Did he say that when he fed 5,000? No. Were those miracles? Absolutely. Did they take the power of God? Absolutely. But nowhere in the narrative in his journey did he say, Oh, Oh, my spirit is anguished within me. The greatest manifestation of the obedience of Jesus Christ is the cross. And when you have a thought that's coming at you, and it's error, it's misleading, evil suspicion, things that the devil gives you to try to mislead you, you can take them captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That means take them to the cross and kill them there. Faithless thoughts. We've got the best armor available. Provision is made by the sovereign. Authority. Authority is the next point. Authority. Did you know that the quickest way for an enemy, I meant for an a, 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 a army to be defeated, is to be out in the field and people wrangling about who's in charge. You better set that up before you get out there. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, the basketball coach, Jake Biddleton, was telling me one time, was talking to his son. He said, he said listen, don't go out the, we're, not, we're not asking you to go out of the court and think. We're asking you to go out there and do what you're told to do. Don't go to thinking you'll weaken the team. doesn't mean that we're thoughtless robots. It just means that we better establish before we get into warfare who is sovereign, who's head, who's in control. General McChrystal got jettisoned out of his leadership, and well, he should have, in Afghanistan because he started spouting off at the mouth about the commander-in-chief. And whether we agree with the commander-in-chief or not, he's the commander-in-chief. He got relieved of his duty because we don't need to be wrangling about that when Nathaniel's out there and could die any day from an errant bullet and everybody around here is in Washington wondering who's in charge. No, sir. That dog won't hunt. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. We need to observe God's given authority. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're talking about life and death issues here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Lines of authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. The head of every man is Christ. He's the head of the church. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. As one pastor said, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. We wrangle about this. You get on the warfare if you're an engaged soldier and you wrangle about that. Guess what happens? People get killed. People get killed. God has the lines of authority. And as the, as the husband is the head of the wife, and Jesus is the head of the church, husbands, we don't go around wielding authority. We don't go around lording it over people. 
We humbly recognize who we report to and we're willing to spend our lives for the spiritual benefit of the people around us through covenant love. Alright, look at Ephesians 5.21. Look at Ephesians 5.21. Oh, the Christian home is going through such turmoil. The Christian home is going through such pillaging by the enemy. And because of that, the enemy is eating our lunch. And we need to straighten this out. We need to fix this. Ephesians 5.21 says this. This is one of, the, one of the manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that we're submissive to authority. Look what it says. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate if your Bible takes a break right there because mine does. It's unfortunate. How many of you in your Bible, there's a break between 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 5.22? Okay. Right? So then what happens is you begin to divorce what follows with what was just said. But there doesn't need to be a divorce. Take that out of your mind that there's a separation. He says, okay, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then he says, here's what I'm expecting. 22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 6. 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 6. Um, uh, 5. Bond servants, so be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. If you have an employer, obey him or her. Submit to their authority. Children, you have parents. Submit to their authority. Husbands, you have a head. His name is Christ. Submit to His authority. Wives, you have a protected head. And it's your husband. Submit to His authority. All of that flows from 2 Corinthians 5.21. And you know what? If we don't observe these lines of authority, the enemy's over there getting us to wrangle within ourselves and he's throwing arrows at us every time and he's killing us and rendering us ineffective. Do you know what's at stake? Look at Titus chapter 2. I wonder if you've ever looked at it from this standpoint. Look at Titus chapter 2. You don't want to be a part of an army where everybody's wrangling about who's in charge. I'll assure you of that. Because that's when people get killed. Look at, look at, look at uh, Titus chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper as for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, obedient to their own husbands. And watch this. I wonder how many times you've ever heard this. Watch this. That the Word of God may not be blasphemed. If you're a child in here, and you're under the authority of your parents, it doesn't matter how faithful you are to the Lord in other areas of your life. If you're not faithful there, it matters little else where else you're faithful. Because if you're not faithful there, you're blaspheming the testimony of Jesus. If you're a husband in here, and you're not leading under the headship of Christ, and you're not leading your family spiritually, you're not on your knees on their behalf interceding and taking the responsibility 
it matters little else wherever else you're covenantly committed because you're blaspheming the name of Christ. The Word of God. If you're a wife in here and you're wrangling about who is, who is the authority in the home, you're not submissive to your husband's authority. You can be the most faithful person outside that relationship. You can make everybody think that you're the most devoted wife and parent in the world. But if you're missing it there, you are blaspheming the Word of God. It matters little else where we exhibit commitment to our Lord if it is not happening in these lines of authority. Christ is the head of the church. And then we talk about the church itself. Hebrews. Let's go to look at Hebrews 13.17. Hebrews 13.17. I know we're taking a whirlwind tour through the Bible, but these are important issues. Hebrews 13.17. Go with me there. I'm going to emphasize some things in here that put me and Pastor Dave on the spot too. So just let me, God's not relieving he or I of anything. Alright. He, he and I both should read this with holy fear. Just as much as you should. Listen to this. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls, Pastor Dave, as those who must give an account. We're going to stand before a holy God one day and answer for how we shepherded God's people. The thought of that makes me tremble. Probably not nearly enough. But let them do so with joy and not with grief because that would be unprofitable to you. In churches, and this is not one of them, thank God, but in churches where that's an issue and everybody's vying for control and nobody comes under the authority of the leadership or constantly derailing or demeaning the authority of the leadership, maybe in front of their face or behind their back, if you're constantly doing that, you are blaspheming the testimony of the Word of God. And it is unprofitable for you and your family because the fragmentation that takes place in the spiritual realm opens up an opportunity and an occasion for the enemy to go, Shh, i got a place to land right there. I'm going to kill some sheep. I'm going to kill some sheep. I'm going to kill some sheep. I promise you that's true. There's a covering and protection of lines of authority. God gives those to us. If we abuse that, God help us. And if we abuse that, come to us in the spirit of Matthew 18. But just come to me. Don't go talk about me behind my back. Come to me directly if you've got something. You come to me directly. And if I won't listen to you, bring somebody else with you. And if I won't listen to you and the other witness or the other three witnesses, then you could bring me before the church. But for goodness sake, let's understand what's at stake. It's unprofitable. You don't want your church pastored by pastors who are hirelings. You want your church pastored by pastors who are shepherds. Again, if we're faithful everywhere else in the Christian life, and we're unfaithful here, it matters little because we're blaspheming the name of God. There's nothing worse than being an employee somewhere, naming the name of Christ, slapping His name onto your testimony, and you being a problem, submitting to your authority. Because they look at you and go, wait a minute, I might not know the Bible, but there's inconsistency with what you're saying with what you profess to be. I promise you that's true. We've got to be careful because people get killed. 
Okay, so we've got provision, GI, government issue, authority, and then we need teamwork. We need to be unified. We need to come together. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. I told you we're going to take trips throughout the Bible. Get ready. We're not finished yet. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. We don't need self-serving saints. We need fully devoted saints who are not only concerned with their own needs, but for the needs of others. What does it say? I'll give you some context here because we've got to go all the way back to the first of, first of Philippians. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm thankful to you for the first day until now for your partnership in the gospel. Which means that in the church we are partners in the gospel. I gave a prayer request this morning of a cousin that I have who's in state prison. And I'm hoping that by the grace of God, he's going to give me an opportunity to visit her. It seems like the doors have been opened up for me to go visit her in prison. He's my first cousin. And I put down that prayer request for you to pray for her salvation. She's 30 years old and she's wrecked and ruined her life. But there's hope. Because of what? Right there. And I ask you to pray. Because why? You as my church family should be. We're partners in reaching her. We're partners with Ray Morris in the prison ministry. We're partners with Wendy at Cartersville at the Women's Center over there. We're partners with Bruce in Kenya as he ministers over there. We're partners with Joe as he handles worship pet service. We are. We're in this together. And we need to not be concerned about Look what it says. Therefore, in context of that, as partners, if you're a partner, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, is there any consolation in Christ? Yes. Is there any comfort in His love? Yes. Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Yes. Is there any affection and mercy from Jesus? Yes. Then fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look at Romans 14.21. Love should characterize Christ's church, shouldn't it? Look at 14, 1, 21. Context. People getting saved. Coming from traditions of pagan worship. They were involved in and used to meat being sacrificed to pagan idols. That meat that's being sacrificed to pagan idols. They become Christians. People eat the meat and think nothing of it. But it offends them because they knew. And it evokes memories of the fact that this was a part of the idol worship that I was delivered from. And the Apostle Paul says, yes, you have the right to eat from that meat. But if your right to eat that meat offends a brother, you no longer have the right to do it. And he said this, look at this, 521. It is... It is Good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother is stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You know, what the, you know what the glaring message of that is? Here's the question and Paul gives the answer. Does love limit liberty? And the resounding message from heaven is yes, it does. If you really love somebody, 
Yes, it does. Teamwork. 15, 1 through 6. You can stay in the same neighborhood. It's right down the street. Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. We then are to bear, or to, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Build up the body. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, Psalm 69 says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. But whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be what? Like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you with one mind and one mouth may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise His name. Did you know we date Christ? Let me explain that. James Dobson said one time, it's very true, isn't it? Uh, you know, you become, you know, my grandfather used to do this and pull up his bridges all the time. I do that all the time. But uh, anyhow, uh, the, uh, did you know that, uh, that uh, James Dobson said this? It's really true. Think about this. He said the dating process is not meant to reveal anything. It's meant to conceive. Is that not true? You date somebody and what happens? They come to the door. And it's presentational. They've spent the woman has spent three hours getting ready, and the man has combed his hair just right. I used to do it. Make sure you know, you know, get it just right. You know what I mean? What have you? Just put your best foot forward. You don't come looking like yourself. You come looking like they want you to see you to be. Then you get married, and you wake up the next morning and go, ah! And your appearance is like that. Your behavior is like that. It's all modified because you want to put your best foot forward. This is how we act in church. We date Jesus. We come in here and put our best foot forward. And God forbid that any weakness should be exposed because if we're weak, we'll go look at Mark and go, Mark's weak. Look at him. I'm better than Mark. I'm walking in victory where he struggles. Don't you hope to become like me one day, Mark? God help us. We see weaknesses in the body of Christ rather than criticizing people for having them. We should love them and encourage them and come together and lift them up wherever they're weak. Just as surely as Moses had Aaron and her on either side of him holding up his arms in the middle of battle because they were weak. And every time in intercession his arms were held up, what were they doing? They were defeating the enemy. Why? Because with one mouth, with one mind, with one accord, they were glorifying God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is to be the church. We're dating Christ in church. And then when we find out that we're not all perfect, we just love to focus in on the imperfections of others because that way we don't have to talk about ours. Provision is made for the sovereign. The authority must be observed or people get killed. We need teamwork. And everyone plays their part and all are necessary. Everyone plays their part and all are necessary. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you're writing down these because you can go back and look at them later. I see some of you are doing that, so please do that. I encourage you to do that. And First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 12 through 26. It's a long trip. You ready? 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one Spirit. For in that body is not one, but many members. One member, but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of this body. Nana, nana, boo, boo. It is therefore not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye and I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set us members. Eat. Now look who did that. Who set the members? God did. Who gifted the members? God did. He set us, each one in the body, just as what? He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. God composed the body. God composed the body. God composed the body. Having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice together. Isn't that precious truth? We're so connected with one another. Get a sty in your eye and see if it doesn't aggravate you slap to death. And then all of a sudden you have high regard for one of your eyelashes. Stub your toe. Try that on. See if it won't irritate you slap to death. All of a sudden the toe becomes a prominent member of your body. It's, it's all, they're all interconnected. You are all necessary. You are all needed. Don't let the devil come in and whisper to us and say, well, because you don't do the following, you're not needed or you're not important or you're not recognized. Straight from hell. That's straight from hell. People take it upon their own selves. Some people got administrative gifts and they just take it upon their own selves to count and do and see if everybody's here and who's not here and let us know and this, that, and the other. It's the exercise of the gift. You got the gift of encouragement? Stand in the hallway right there, wait for people to come in, and encourage the socks off of them. Because not one of them who walks in there doesn't need it. Not one. Your gift is to give. Give! Liberally! Because you were first given to. Everyone plays their part as all is necessary. First, provisions taken care of. Not government issued. God issued. Then the authority. Lines must be observed or otherwise we're blaspheming the Word of God. There must be teamwork because everybody's important. And everybody must be unified and come together. And everyone plays their part and all are necessary. Okay. Now communication. John, if I'm indulging something you'd rather me not indulge, I'm, you'll have to forgive me later and, and all this. But John and I went out and knocked on doors the other night and I was blessed because he began to tell me some of his Vietnam experience. Communication. They began to tell me about the hurt that he went through to lose a man that closest to him, and it was his radio man. And that meant that he had to follow along with him everywhere. John was a commander of a, is a platoon or a battalion or whatever, John. And when you're out in the field, you've got to be able to communicate, or what happens? You get killed. 
And he talked about the loss of this man who had become dear to him. He was his radio man. He was his communication. It meant wherever he's at, you've got to have him beside. We need to call in help. Or we need to call in choppers or call in air cover or whatever. I've got to have this man right beside me. I've got to be able to communicate. Luke 11, 1. You ready? Luke 11, 1. John, I know those are tender memories. And I hope I didn't violate any of them by sharing that publicly. But I just thought of that when I was preparing this message. And I thought, wow, what an example of the fact that we better be in close communication with our Lord. We better be in quick communication with Him because only He knows what's ahead. Only He knows the battle plan. Only He knows where the enemy is. Only He knows where the caches of ammunition are. Only He knows where the troop movement is. Only He knows. He's the only one who knows. He has done the reconnaissance work. He knows. We lose communication with Him, people get killed. 11.1 Now it came to pass as He was praying in a certain place when He ceased that one of His disciples said to Him, Teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. Can you? I'm going to use my imagination here just for a minute. And I can do this because I don't have a hairspray in my hair. Hallelujah. Feels so good. Listen to me. I use my imagination here. Just let's go. I don't think I'm doing any damage to the text to say this. But let me. Here's, here's what I envision that the disciples are doing. They're sitting around and they're talking. And they're watching. And they're watching habitually. Habitually. As the Bible says that it was Jesus Christ. It was His custom. To get away from them by himself and be alone with God. It was customary. Constantly. You know, you're looking around for Jesus. Well, where's Jesus? Well, he's over there. I mean, you know, I'll tell you where he's at. And it's almost as if they were saying, look, God, look, look, Jesus. Here's what we know about you. You know what? When you come, when we watch you over there, and we watch you commune with God, and we watch all this interaction taking place, and when you come out of that, you seem to have... I mean, you have direction. Let's go to Comerty. We're going to go over here. We're going to do this, that, the other. We got to. And you seem to just, you just seem to be on it. And when you come out of that time together, you're empowered and you're full of Him, and you've been with Him, and you have direction, you have guidance, and you have discernment. Something happens when you get along with Him. And I'm asking you, don't teach us how to cleanse leopards. Don't teach us how to feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread. Don't teach us how to heal withered hands or make the lame walk or the blind to see. Lord, of all the things You could teach us, teach us to pray. What goes on there? Because that is Your source of power. If we're going to be engaged in warfare, we've got to realize that the provision is taking place by God-issued equipment. And there's nothing wrong with it. We've got to recognize authority because it was ordained by God and He empowers us in it, not outside it. And He protects us in it and not outside it. We must be unified and come together as a team and no self-serving prima donnas, but just follow Him with one mouth and one accord. Every, we must recognize that everybody plays their part and everybody's necessary. And we better make sure that we maintain lines of communication. Because there's only one thing in the Bible, not one thing in the Bible that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, and that was to pray. And by the by, that is two-way communication. That's not just what I say to God. It first and foremost is what God says to me. He wants to hear from us. Sometimes I'm afraid. We're far too interested in saying what he thinks we, we think he needs to hear than desperately hearing from him as to what we need to hear from him. You know what? 
you're going to be an engaged member of the battle. You must believe in the sovereign. You must really believe it. You must really believe that there's something in this life that's worth dying for. And I want you to know that there's only one thing in this life that's worth dying for, and that's the gospel. It's worth that. It flat is. I don't mean just physical death. Sometimes one day that might be easier. I'm talking about denying yourself and dying daily. You gotta believe in him. See, we gotta believe in the sovereign. We've got to be convinced of something. I was telling Brother Al just then, and I so appreciate it, Brother Al. And again, I'm gonna violate a little bit of our personal conversation. Don't get nervous. But you said you were talking to a guy on a sales call the other day, and I love what you said to him. This guy called you up a telemarketer and you don't have much patience for them and neither do I. And but yet you hung on the line because you knew God was in the conversation. And here's what you told him. And you were exactly right when you said it. He said, this might be and could be and probably is the most important phone call of your life. And shared the gospel with him. It was the most important phone call of his life. See, that's the way we ought to be about the gospel. We are to meander around thinking, did you know that every last one of you that I come in contact with, every single person that I come in contact with, needs to hear the gospel. They need to hear from me. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? We've got to be convinced of something. We must believe. We must be anchored. We must be centered. We must believe, as it says in Jude, Verse 3, that the gospel, the truth, is worth contending for. The messenger never should be contentious, but we should always contend for the truth because the truth is the only thing that sets people free. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 21. I know we got another trip. We're fixing to close. you got a day off tomorrow. Acts 21. Acts chapter 21. Most of you do. If you don't, forgive me. All right, Acts chapter 21. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be watchful. We've got to be convinced there's something worth dying for. We've got to be convinced. We've got to be convinced. And the last point is going to lead us into a springboard to where we wanted to head for a long time, Spencer. But hang on just a second. Look at what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders when he was about to leave. They may not ever see him again. He said, here's what's going to happen. 21, 10 through 14. 20, I'm sorry. I don't know, somehow another, my notes got messed up there. I apologize. Acts chapter 20. Verse 29. That's not even close to what I just said. Or Acts chapter 20, verse uh, 29. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was the right verse. I'm sorry. Way to go, Brother Lindsay. You got the right verse. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Lewis. Acts chapter 21, verses uh, 10 through 14. It was right. You ready? And we, yeah, finally. <laughs> okay, Mark, you and I'll talk later. As, and, and, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound it in his own hands and feet, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And now when we had heard these things, we, we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. And look at Paul's answer. What did he say? What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Convinced men act like that. When you're convinced of something, you act like that. I'm convinced. I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. It is the power of God into salvation to all who believe. I'm confident in the Word of God and the God of the Word. I'm confident in its ability to transform lives because what? It transformed me. And I'm the chief among all sinners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to let the world sully and spoil my reputation for the sake of the gospel. I am. Let them do it. Write me off as an idiot, fool, nut, whatever you want. But the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here know the gospel to be the power of God and the salvation of everyone who believes? Amen. It is. Here's the last point. There's actually two more, but I'm going to skip to this one. You know what? I am going to just mention this because it, the song was sung this morning. The cross is my stat statue of liberty. Yes, you know what? I was thinking about this in terms of warfare and soldiers and all that. You look at the side of an airplane. And you look at the side of it. You, you look at the. You know, what's, what do you always find on a soldier's uniform? Insignia, don't you? Y'all perfect, perfect this morning. What's the insignia of the Christian? Cross. The cross, because that marked the enemy's defeat. That's the place where we were victorious and the enemy was killed. Hallelujah. You remember the story? I'm going to tell it again because I just love to tell it. Patty, you know what I'm going to say? Napoleon standing there and he's looking at the map of the world. And there's one spot on that map. And he's looking at his generals and he said, Listen, and it spots on Waterloo. He said, Gentlemen, if it hadn't been for that spot right there, I could have conquered the world. Transform that to the demons having a meeting. And the demonic realm, Satan the leader and his pinions all gathered around him. And the timeline of history is laid out in front of him. Oh, man, I love this. And there's a red spot right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it is a red spot. And he looks at him and says, Gentlemen, if it weren't for that red spot, I could have conquered the world. And that spot's called Calvary. Hallelujah. He could have said, you could, you could do it like this. One for that red spot, I could have conquered Bruce. One for that red spot, I could have conquered Nancy. Went for that red spot, I'd conquered every one of Lindsay Lewis's children. I'd have got him, buddy. But he didn't get him. I have an insignia. We better not ever. Spurgeon said this. Doesn't matter what you preach about. Just make a beeline to the cross. Just make a beeline to the cross. You better keep that in mind when you're dealing with people. That this is not about religion, Patty, but it's about a relationship. And that cross communicates to me everything that I would never know about God absent that cross. I know His disposition towards sinners. I know His disposition towards sin. I know His seriousness about judgment. And I know the depths of His mercy and grace. Hallelujah. 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 Slap on the insignia. Don't be ashamed of it. It's the cross that matters. 
And what's the motivation? To please the one. I want you to listen. Oh, if you just listen to this, please, and we'll close. I promise. You got to listen to this. You're going to be engaged. You got to remember the provision is taken care of because it's God issued. You're going to be engaged. You got to submit the God given authority. You're going to be engaged. You got to work as a team. You're going to be engaged. You got to understand that you got to play your part because other people are going to suffer if you don't. If you're going to be engaged, you got to communicate with the head. If you're going to be engaged, you got to be convinced that there's a cause worth dying for, and it's the gospel. If you're going to be engaged, you need to slap on the insignia, and the insignia of the Christian life is the cross. If you're going to be engaged, you got to be watchful, and that was the other point I was going to make. We don't have time enough to make it right now. But I want you to know something. If you got to, you're going to be engaged, you're going to be surrendered to Christ, and your motivation would be to please no one except the one who called you. Who called you from death to life, Ray Quinn? Who called you out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? The Lord of glory called you. He called you. He commissioned you. He's given you orders. You're authentic. You have credentials. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're not in the way of this world. You're, the, you're left here for it. You don't need to apologize for being here. You need to find out why you are here and let the Holy Spirit flow through you and give the needed message of Jesus within you to everybody around you. And I know you do that. But who called you and why should you do it? You do it to please the one who enlisted you. But listen to me and hear me out. Sorry about that. Last time I did that, I dropped the microphone. Your surrender. I want you to listen to this now. Your surrender does not secure your salvation. It may be evidence of it, but it does not secure it. Your engagement in the battle does not secure your, your salvation. Christ's surrender to the will of the Father secured your salvation. You with me? Now don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Listen to me. It has nothing to do with you and me. We don't want to be engaged enlisted soldiers in order to gain salvation. We are engaged and enlisted soldiers because of salvation. Gained, purchased, and secured through the fidelity, the loyalty, and the perfect submission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the will of a sovereign God who raised His Son from the dead to say, That is my Son. That's my sacrifice. I did it. Put your faith in what I've done, and you've done nothing. And we'll say it again. Your surrender does not secure your salvation. It may be evidence of it, but it does not secure it. Christ's surrender to the will of the Father secured your salvation. What did you do? What did I do? Absolutely nothing. Amen. That's the motivation. I don't want to do it in order to gain favor or court favor with God. I don't want to be an engaged soldier of the cross in order to court favor with God to earn my place in heaven. I want to do it because through His Son I have favor with God. And it was given to me at Calvary. Hallelujah. What a great God we serve.